following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, January 3rd, 2021, on the basis of Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Maybe you're familiar with this feeling. You probably remember it from being a child, if not from being an adult, hopefully not as an adult, but you're probably familiar with sitting around the Christmas tree, opening gifts with the whole family, when out of the corner of your eye, you see across the room your brother or your sister or your cousin open up their gift, they tear into it, only, to fi- only for you to find out that it is exactly what you had asked for. The toy or the thing that you had been asking for for years, maybe your whole life, and now this other person got it. The jealousy you feel, it just rains down on you. You feel cheated. You feel lied to almost. Well, Christmas is over and the gifts have stopped flowing. So if you haven't gotten what you wanted this year, you're probably going to have to wait till next year. But even though Christmas is over, it's Epiphany now. A festival known to some as the Gentile Christmas. And it gets that name because of this account that we read today. The Magi, these foreigners, they got the gift that Israel had been wanting for generations. Israel had also received this gift as well, but of all the people who would have appreciated it first, of all the people who should have been running out to enjoy it, the Magi were the first ones to get it. Because the wise men went seeking for it by faith in the promises of Israel's God. They came to Jesus because they believed, not the other way around. But because they believed, they also saw in more ways than one. Now, a little fun fact about this reading, about the whole book, really. It's suspected that even though the entire New Testament is written in Greek, it's suspected that Matthew's gospel may have been written originally in Hebrew or Aramaic. If that's not the case, then, he, then Matthew's Greek is still very Jewish. And the reason I bring that up, because it's not necessarily a topic for today, the reason I bring it up is because of one little word that Matthew uses to introduce the wise men. And that word is... It doesn't make it into most English translations, but that word is behold. He writes, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east. And that's another way of saying, hey, would you look at that? What do you know? Wise men. In the middle of everyday life, when nobody was expecting anything special, these guys roll into town dressed like royalty, and it blows everybody away. But as splendid and as shocking as their appearance may have been, the news that they brought with them was even more shocking because they're asking about somebody that they're calling the king of the Jews, which to the people of Jerusalem meant none other than the Messiah that they had been waiting for. But when word got to Herod, the only word he heard was king. Herod was a man just as gripped by paranoia as he was driven by ambition And the petty throne that he had been desperately fighting to keep for 30 years or so was built on three murdered sons, three murdered in-laws, and one murdered wife, all of whom, if it wasn't clear, he himself had murdered. And those were just his relatives. So after all that blood was spilled, now the king of the Jews is born right next door? How is Herod, who by the way is not ethnically Jewish, He's just ruling over them. 
How was he supposed to compete with that? The people of Jerusalem didn't know exactly how he was supposed to compete with that either, but given his track record, they had a pretty good idea of how he might handle the whole situation. And so they were disturbed right along with him. It's like, who cares what this new king is going to do when the king that we already have is going to turn Israel upside down trying to get rid of him? If irony had a scent, this story would reek. The people who should have been the first ones to greet this newborn king were now the most reluctant to believe in him. Because if these people truly knew what this Messiah had come to do, they would have gone out rejoicing to meet him. If Herod had any faith in what the prophets wrote about this child or who this king was, he would have seen in this king a savior instead of a threat. And that's just human nature. When human nature is confronted with the change that Jesus brings and the change that he offers, it turns in on itself. It's very self-centered. It's selfish. Human nature is so wrapped up in its own interests, its habits, its ideas, its ambitions, all these things that we don't want Jesus to change, that we fail to recognize, you know, the blessed change that Jesus actually does bring. We're so obsessed with what we want out of Jesus that we fail to understand and recognize and seek what the Bible actually says about him. And so the wise men stand in the midst of all this uproar as unlikely believers who came solely because they believed. The people of Jerusalem lived at the absolute epicenter of the promise. The wise men lived far away. The people of Jerusalem were steeped in the scriptures. They had them right there. The wise men had to seek those scriptures out. The Jewish people were patriots. The wise men were foreigners. They were astrologers, magicians, men of high rank, and yet they had come to find this child. We can't be sure exactly where they came from. It may have been Babylon. It may have been Persia. It may have been somewhere else, but we know for a fact that God worked all things to bring them to Jesus. We just read from the book of Numbers of how God used another magician to prophesy the coming of this Savior, to prophesy about this star that the wise men would see. God used the, he, he may have used the exile of his people to bring the word far away from Israel and to these distant nations through people like Daniel and Nehemiah and Esther who worked in Babylon and Persia. He also moved the heavens themselves to give them a sign that this Savior had arrived in the flesh, a sign that would certainly draw them to meet him. So while Jesus' own people stayed put, the wise men trekked across the desert to find him because they believed in what God had said about this child. And so now they are receiving the gift that Israel wanted. And they're not alone. By the grace of God, you and I, who are also equally unlikely believers, follow the wise men to Jesus because by faith we see that only in him can we possibly be separated from our sins and only in him can we stand in God's presence. So we continue to seek him day after day and as we, as we continue to seek him, believing what God has said about him, we find out more and more deeper truths about who Jesus is, about what he has done, and about why we should love him. They followed a star and they arrived at their destination. Now, we don't know exactly what they were looking at because there's no 
there's no natural celestial phenomenon that moves and acts the way that, that this story describes the star. It may have been a supernova. It may have been a comet. It could have been something totally unique. We just don't know. Whatever it was, when they got there, they rejoiced. And here we see Matthew's Hebrew leaking into his Greek again because they didn't just rejoice. Matthew writes that they rejoiced a great rejoicing exceedingly. It's not the kind of joy that you experience sitting down. This is that dancing, singing, shouting, running through the streets, waking up the neighbors kind of joy. And so this puts a huge gap between the people of Jerusalem and the Magi. While Herod and the people of Jerusalem were sitting still, fearful of their own Savior, these Gentiles were ecstatic to have found him. After months of trekking through the desert, getting baked by the sun, getting sandblasted by the hot wind, you might think it'd be a little bit of a letdown to arrive at your destination and find a two-year-old child and his mother in a shack in backwoods Jerusalem. But by believing in who this child was, they knew that God had not just rewarded their arduous journey, he had also rewarded their faith. Because by faith they came to see Jesus, and by faith they truly saw him. Where had Herod's unbelief led him? It had made him fearful. Then it made him hateful. It would eventually lead, to, lead him into sick and tragic violence, and ultimately it would take him to his grave without ever meeting the person who would have been his savior. Where had it led the people of Jerusalem? Well, when Jesus came full-grown, preaching and teaching and doing his work, they still didn't believe in him. And they would eventually nail him to a cross because they didn't believe. But by God's providence, the Magi were able to lay eyes on Jesus. By his grace, they were able to see in this child a king who was fit to rule and a king who was worthy of worship, and that is what they gave him. And by the eyes of faith, they would one, be able, one day be able to see this same king face to face on his rightful throne in heaven. Hannah would get very annoyed with me if I asked her if she loved me every time I looked at her. In fact, Hannah does get very annoyed at me if I ask too many times in the same hour. Thankfully, her answer hasn't changed yet. But I also don't have to ask her, as much as I like hearing that she loves me, I don't have to ask her every time because many years ago, two years ago specifically, we made a vow in front of God and everyone on our wedding day that we would love each other and that we would be committed to each other. So now even when we're having an unfriendly disagreement, I can take her at her word and be sure that she loves me and that she can be sure that I, loves her, that I love her because, well, we made that vow, even when it's not written on our face. On a much, much grander scale, our Heavenly Father, who neither changes nor lies, gave those eyes of faith to sinful outsiders. He put his words and promises in their heart as he led them to this child, as he, allowed the, as he put his words and promises into their heart to show them that he had led them to the right place. This resulted in, in these, these powerful foreign men finding nothing unreasonable about leaping for joy in the streets at the sight of this impoverished child. 
And they found nothing illogical or improper about bowing down to him. That is the power of faith. We too are Gentiles, sinners and foreigners and unbelievers by birthright. And yet by the grace of God, we see with the eyes of faith, which allow us to truly receive the gifts that he has given us. We who have no business believing in Jesus receive all that he is and all that he does by the gift of faith. And it draws us back here every Sunday to receive those gifts. And so we stand with the wise men knowing who this child is because we trust the promises of God. And because we trust those promises, we will again see him with true sight, which will replace the eyes of faith someday. It was Israel's gift. It was the gift they wanted in a package that they refused to open. There were too many fears, too many distractions, too many risks for them to even bother with it. And it was still their gift to open, but to show them how awesome it was and how much they should desire this gift. God gave it also to the Magi, and he has given it also to you. Trust God's word as, as he promises to give you what he knows you need. He's given you a savior and see in that Savior through the eyes of faith, salvation, eternal life, everything that he gives you. And as a result, you can rejoice a great rejoicing exceedingly. Amen.